The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. One of the points on which more people are deceived than perhaps on any other is that the religion of the flesh cannot save men, and that those that follow a religion of the flesh are lost souls. We must not be deceived by the word flesh. People who have a religion of the flesh may be highly ethical and moral. It is just that they have built a religion that is founded on human principles and that they refuse the divine principles which underlie the revelation which has been given to us in the word of God about the Lord Jesus Christ. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message that we will be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, The Religion of the Flesh. Many people believe that all religions are merely different roads leading to the same destination. But did you realize that with one exception, the statement is actually true? All religions, except biblical Christianity, are different roads to eternal destruction because they are based upon human rather than divine principles. How can we learn to discern the truth from the counterfeit religion of the flesh in all its manifestations? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 8, we're looking at verses 5 and 6. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, The Religion of the Flesh. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We thank thee for the opportunity of studying thy word in the midst of a free land, and we praise thee for thy grace to us. We thank thee that we do not have to approach thee through forms and ceremonies of religion, but that we can come with holy boldness by the new and living way through the Lord Jesus Christ. Wilt thou bless the truth to each listening heart in this hour? and take all the glory to thyself, as we pray in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Again we turn to Romans 8, 5, and 6. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, for to be carnally minded is death. Those who say, well, after all, all religions are good, reveal the fleshly nature of their thinking and the fact that they know nothing of the reality of the faith of God. Take as an example a part of the conversation which took place between the Lord Jesus Christ and the woman at the well. The disciples had gone up the hill from the well of Sychar 
to purchase food in the village. A woman came to draw water, and Jesus engaged her in conversation in order to bring her to salvation. He began by asking her for a drink of water. She immediately exhibited wonder that he, a Jew, would ask for drink from her because of the great racial hatred which the Jews had at that time for her people, the Samaritans. Christ then offered her the water of life, but she showed her ignorance of spiritual things by thinking that he was talking about ordinary liquid water, two parts of hydrogen and one of oxygen. The Lord returned to the offer, insisting on the value of the gift, and she answered in terms of plumbing, requesting the water so that she would not have to come down the hill to the well to draw water. In the face of such ignorance of the flesh, he probed deeper in order to reveal to her the nature of her sin. Asking for her husband, he received the reply that she had no husband, to which Jesus answered, showing the horror of her harlotry. She had had five men and was living with a sixth who was not her husband. Now there's nothing so terrible for an unregenerate soul as the revelation of the knowledge of sin. And she immediately tried to escape the probing by asking a question about religious form and ceremony. She showed at once that she had her religion. The Samaritans killed sacrificial animals at an altar on top of Mount Gerizim, while the Jews had been ordered by God to bring all the animals slain for sacrifice to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Anyone who violated this law was to be killed, and this was to be a statute in Israel throughout all generations. The very heart of the atonement was that it was to be offered in Jerusalem. Now the question asked by the woman at the well concerned this difference of opinion about the place of sacrifice. Her fleshly mind could not understand who he really was, but she knew that he was at least a prophet and addressed him thus, as he had revealed the innermost secrets of her heart and life. In order to get away from the embarrassment of conviction, she interjected the question of religious ceremony and asked him which was the proper place of worship. It was probably a question which she had heard argued and debated throughout all of her life. And that was as good a question as any other to take the pressure of the probing finger from the wound of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ did not dodge the issue. In fact, it was one of the most important spiritual principles that anyone could have brought forth. Fortunately, the Lord Jesus lived before the days of Emily Post and the other writers of books of etiquette. There was no such thing as human etiquette for God the Son. Truth is more important than human convention. There are those who live today who would like to have had him say that there was good in all religions and that every man could worship his God according to the dictates of his own conscience. Now, that is true, of course, from a human point of view, and we acknowledge immediately every man's right to this religious liberty, but it is certainly not true according to the divine view. Every man has the liberty of going to hell in his own way or of going to heaven in God's way, and the distinction between the two depends entirely upon the truth that God has revealed and not upon any human tradition. It is quite correct to state that hundreds of men think that their way is God's way. But the Bible gives us such unmovable boundaries for faith that there is no getting around them if a man is willing to be honest with the truth.
Jesus Christ did not say, I am one of many ways, I am a phase of truth, and I am an aspect of life. But he did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It is in the light of this truth that we can understand our Lord's answer to the woman at the well. He said, you worship you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. There was no begging the question. His answer left no doubt. She had a religion, but it was a religion of ignorance and was of the flesh and was in no wise acceptable unto God. If we could have looked at a motion picture of the two altars, they would have appeared the same, the altar of Samaria and the altar in Judah. If we could have heard the words spoken by the two sets of priests, the words would have sounded the same. But those who can see with the vision of the Holy Spirit would have realized at once that one altar was an altar after the flesh, an altar of Satan, hateful to the true God. But the other altar was an altar of the Spirit, an altar set up according to divine command and acceptable to God because it did not violate any of the principles which are necessary to his holiness and his justice. Now, if anyone thinks that I'm teaching intolerance, they've not understood me at all. I'm the greatest believer in allowing to every man the right to think exactly as he pleases. But I must proclaim that he will be judged if he does not think in the way that God has told him to think. Voltaire was not a Christian. In fact, he was an anti-Christian. But once he spoke according to Christian principles, when he said that though he disagreed with an adversary, he would fight to the death to protect the man's right to his own opinion. This is proper Christian procedure. The action of some people who call themselves fundamentalists in seeking to have evolution excluded from the curriculum of the schools was an attitude totally alien to the Bible. The true Christian is never afraid of truth. I believe in fundamentals beyond any question, but I would repudiate such an attitude immediately. For while we know that truth will not triumph through man's efforts, truth will triumph when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to earth and forces it upon a reluctant world. In the meantime, no follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is to interfere forcibly with any man's expression of opinion or with his acts of worship. Now we must pause a moment and examine the one incident in the life of the Lord Jesus when he used force to oppose men in a religious matter. In the very last days of his life on earth, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those that sold doves and drove those that bought and sold out of the temple. If we have learned to see the Bible as a whole, we know that this scene took place at a time when he knew that he was about to die. He lived during those closing days in the village of Bethany and came into Jerusalem on three different mornings. On the first, which took place on the Jewish Sabbath, though Christians mistakenly place it on what they call Palm Sunday, the Lord entered Jerusalem in his capacity as king, and the crowd received him thus, crying, Hosanna, and strewing palm branches in his way. That day he entered the temple and looked around and then went back to Bethany. It was the Sabbath, and there were no money changers there on that day. The next day, the first day of the week, he entered Jerusalem as priest and went to the temple in order to cleanse it. 
he thrust these men forth from the precincts, which were still sacred, crying, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. The following day he entered Jerusalem as prophet and told the questioning authorities that they would have no sign for his power and authority other than that of his resurrection. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. This he said, speaking of the temple of his body. Now the act of cleansing the temple was a pageant prophecy of what he shall do at the time of his return, when he shall send angels into this world to pluck out all things that offend, and to pluck out all persons that offend. For during the kingdom reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth, there will be no false religion taught in the world, there will be no error taught in the schools, righteousness will be here enforced from above by divine power, not arbitrarily, but according to the sovereign grace and power of God. Now when we understand this, we see that today is the day of his patience, and we who follow him are to follow in that same patience. That act of cleansing of the temple should never be followed by men today. Today is not the day of force. Today is the day in which we offer salvation to all men in love and announce judgment to men in all faithfulness. The day came when Christ, who had begun speaking of the temple as my father's house and my house, turned to the crowd saying, Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. That was the uncompromising position of Christ. They could go on holding religious exercises, but God was not in it at all. Perhaps the strongest statements in the Bible concerning the nature of the religion of the flesh are to be found in the prophecy of Amos. In order to understand them, we must say a word about the background of that little book. There had been a civil war after the death of Solomon. The ten tribes in the north were separated from the tribes of Judah and Benjamin in the south. The 17th of Leviticus said formally that there could be no animal offered in sacrifice except at the door of the congregation of the tabernacle, which was now established in Jerusalem. This left the tribes of the north without any place to exercise their religious rights. A close study of the Old Testament will show that the more faithful of the north trickled down to the south to obey God in worship, and that many of them remained to strengthen the southern kingdom. Finally, so many of each of the northern tribes had come to the south, both the ten tribes and of Levi, the priestly tribe, had come to Jerusalem in faithfulness to God, that the Lord was able to say, Speak to all Israel in Judah and Benjamin. It's very interesting to note now the countermeasures that were taken by the northern authorities to overcome the tendency of those who knew that the Bible stated that sacrifices should be offered in Jerusalem only. It was determined that there should be a place of worship within the confines of the northern kingdom that would enable the people to have their religion under official sanction without obeying the word of God about worship in Jerusalem only. If it were handled in those days the way it is done in our day, there was probably a royal commission appointed to discuss with the uh, faithful clergy, faithful to the king of the north, though faithless to God, the choice of a place of worship. 
It may be possible to infer that one Amaziah was the chairman of this commission, as we find him in Amos 7.10. This group of priests came up not with one place of worship, but with two, Bethel and Gilgal. We can almost hear the speeches of dedication of these schismatic altars. We are standing on holy ground, Amaziah might have said at Bethel. This place has been consecrated by the holy events that took place here. This is the very spot at which our father Jacob saw a vision of angels ascending into heaven and descending. Shall not we, his children, stand humbly at the foot of that same ladder and expect that the God of Jacob will hear the cry of his children? And let not the foolish be swayed by a tradition that would make it necessary to go to a particular spot to offer sacrifices. We have in the experience of our father, Jacob, the certain proof that God is no respecter of places and that he is to be found among us. <laughs> and then the priest lifted the sacrificial knife and the blood of a lamb flowed on the cursed spot. And the Lord God Almighty hated with a holy hatred, the whole mess of human worship, which insulted every attribute of his holy being. And this we shall see in a moment, beyond the shadow of doubt. But let us visit the other place of worship for a moment. Here the speech would have been slightly different. Gilgal, place of beloved and hallowed memories. Our fathers came out of Egypt, and under Joshua crossed the Jordan River. The Ark of the Covenant went before them, and after the glorious victory at Jericho, the Philistines were driven from the land. There would be no mention of the defeats and the periods of servitude, of course. And our fathers had peace. And then he might have continued, and where was the place chosen by God at which the Ark should come to rest? Here at Gilgal. For many years before, there was a city at Jerusalem our fathers came to Gilgal. Here King David came to worship. Here King Solomon came to worship. Shall we have the blind pretense to be greater than they? Shall we not humbly follow in their footsteps and bring out our sacrifices to Gilgal? <laughs> and the Lord hated that worship which came from the flesh. He would have none of it. Now listen to the prophet Amos, sent by God to cry out against these carnal altars. The Lord spoke through Amos in the greatest example of irony and sarcasm that is to be found in any literature, religious or secular, ancient or modern. If the words are read in an ordinary tone of voice, the whole point of the story will be missed. But if the words are read with sharp and biting sarcasm, we shall understand what is behind this invitation by God for men to continue in sin. We read in Amos chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Come to Bethel and transgress. You see, God invites the followers of the northern kingdom who have set up the apostate altar, but it must be heard in these tones of divine hatred of sin, as the context will indicate. Come to Bethel and transgress. And at Gilgal, multiply transgressions. And bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. 
and proclaim free will offerings and publish them. For it is just like you, O Israel. A little farther along, God clearly indicates his deep hatred of human religion. If the concordance is searched for all the references concerning the things that are hateful to God, we have an impressive list. But surely this one instance stands high on the whole list. I hate, God says in Amos 5.21, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell incense in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and meal offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not look upon the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your vials. Rather, let justice run down like waters and righteousness like a continuous stream. Here, God is crying out against their schismatic altars and their substitute feasts. Oh, it was all done according to ritual, but it was absolutely hateful to God because it was not done according to his way. It was religion, but it was religion from the human spirit, from the flesh, and it was hateful to God. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, and to be carnally minded is death. It must be noted that those who stand up for the truth of God will always be hated by those who wish to have the religion of the flesh. They want things their own way, and they do not like to be interfered with. The prophecy of Amos tells us how the head of the worship at Bethel, Amaziah, who has the doubtful title Priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, or perhaps we should say whining, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Now the liberal who wishes to have his religion according to the flesh is always the most intolerant being in the world towards the man who stands for the truth of God. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ pointed out that those who would stand near to him would receive from the world the same treatment which he received from the world. If the world hates you, the Lord Jesus said, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Thus it was with Amaziah when Amos announced that because of the carnality of the false religion in the northern kingdom, God would destroy the king and exile the people. And our part of the story ends when the priest of Bethel met the prophet of God. Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, and it should re be remembered that our word seer is short for one who sees because it is difficult to say seer, one who sees. Amaziah said, Go, flee to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but prophesy not at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel, and it is the king's court. The revision has it well. It is the king's sanctuary. It is a temple of the kingdom. It certainly was not a temple of God, and God would have none of it. The prophet of the true God, Amos, answered the head of this state church that was so obnoxious to God, I am no prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But I am a herdsman and a trimmer of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. 
Now, if you take the trouble to read the terrible prophecy which the Lord had Amos speak against this leader of this false religion that was so orthodox in its words and so hateful to God because it disregarded his righteous provisions for a holy approach unto himself, you will discover indeed that to be carnally minded is death. And if we can understand how true this is in matters of religion, we should be able to understand it in all the lesser phases of life. And our God and Father, we pray thee that the Holy Spirit will take this lesson to each heart. We thank thee for its convicting force, and we pray thee that if there are any who have not been born again, that thou wilt give them restlessness. Turn men away from the religion of the flesh, that men may come to the simplicity of life in Christ. And upon all thy redeemed own, may thy grace, thy mercy, and thy peace abide. And a new sense of all the wonder of the life that thou dost give in Christ. And unto thee be the glory and the majesty, the dominion and the power. Amen. We must turn away from all forms of fleshly religion that is rooted in human principles and self-sufficiency. True biblical salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, The Religion of the Flesh. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the Internet by visiting us at AllianceNet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, The Religion of the Flesh, or simply request message number R8-9. We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled Tragedy or Triumph. Our lives are often shaken by devastating tragedy, and yet we can look back later and see how God brought forth glorious triumph from tragic circumstances for our benefit and His glory. This free booklet contains six favorite sermons by Dr. Barnhouse, including Tragedy or Triumph, Who Died at Calvary, Oil and Wine, Salted with Fire, the scales of God, and falling into grace. These messages will encourage, challenge, and uplift you. Ask for your free copy of Tragedy or Triumph when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you've benefited from this broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at AllianceNet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time 
for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.